0: If you have experienced a miscarriage or stillbirth,
2: you may have concerns about becoming pregnant again. How do you know when the timing's right? And once you become pregnant, how do you overcome anxiety associated with having a healthy baby? I'm Yvonne Rothermel, a licensed clinical social worker specializing in postpartum mood disorders, birth trauma, and infant loss. And this is Preggy Pals, episode 34.
0: Um, is that a plus sign? Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Sunny Galt. Are you a member of the Preggy Pals Club? This is our exclusive membership club for all of our loyal listeners. You can get all of our archived episodes, bonus material after every new show, and special giveaways and discounts. Visit our website, preggypals.com for more information. Okay, so let's get started with today's show. I want to introduce you to our panelists here in the studio. And then we have an international caller calling on Skype. But let's start here in the studio. Beth, let's have you kick us off.
1: Okay. Hi, my name is Beth Franzese. I'm 35 years old and I am in sales. I currently have a four-year-old daughter. I have uh, lost one pregnancy. I'm currently pregnant and I am due April 3rd.
4: Hi there. My name is Skye Wilson. I am 36 years old. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have two precious children here with me. I have a six-year-old son. Uh, And I also have a 10-month-old son. Um, Unfortunately, I have suffered four losses in total, three miscarriages that were first trimester, and uh, the neonatal death of my middle son, Brandon, in 2009. He was uh, full term and two and a half days old.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay. And joining us over the phone, um, actually via Skype, is Olga Rojo. Olga is joining us from Peru. Hello, Olga. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Thank you, Zani. Hi, my name is Olga Rojo. I'm 28 years old. I'm an English teacher. I live in Lima, Peru. I've lost two children in less than six months. I'm currently pregnant. Uh, I'm due January 23rd. Okay.
0: So Olga, when you say in less than six months, were those both of those losses within six months of one another? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And then your losses, I, I remember you telling me it's seven weeks and five weeks, correct? correct.
3: The first one was seven weeks and the second one was on the fifth week.
0: Okay. Well, thank you ladies so much for joining
4: us today.
0: Before we begin today's show, here are some prenatal fitness tips from Lisa Druxman of Stroller
5: Strides. Hi, preggy pals, I'm Lisa Druxman, chief founding mom at Stroller Strides, where fitness is fun and you can meet other new moms. And I'm here to answer any of your questions about pregnancy and fitness. And one question that I get asked a lot is, if I'm on bed rest, can I exercise? And if you listen to segment number 16, which was the bed rest survival guide, um, you've gotten some great tips. Now, the first thing that I absolutely have to say is, even any exercise that I recommend right now, you do need to check with your doctor. So every reason for being on bed rest could be different. And so you might not be allowed to do any of these exercises. But most of the exercises I'm going to tell you about right now are safe for most moms who are on bed rest and usually great exercises for when you're in the hospital bed just after having the baby. So, One of the most important things you can do is just kind of get your circulation going and moving. And so while it doesn't seem like you're doing much, just basic, you know, flexing your feet and circling your ankles is great. But besides that, what you can also do is do some sort of abdominal contractions where you actually are bracing your abdominals, so you're actually going to bring your belly in and you can make sure that you're still breathing and releasing. And you can do that with different tempo and different speed. If you can bring your legs to a bent position, you can do a leg slide while you're in bed. So again, engaging your core, keeping your abs nice and strong, you slide one leg out and then bring it back in and then slide the other leg out. The idea is that you don't want to be shifting your hips and you're engaging your core. If you're able to sit up in bed, you can do some scapular retractions, which is really essentially just squeezing your shoulder blades back. Again, you want to get circulation going wherever you can. If your doctor is comfortable with it, you can also go on your side and do just some leg raises. I think at this stage, any movement is going to feel better than no movement. So again, if your doctor feels it safe, then please take advantage of the opportunity to move your body and just feel good. And if your doctor does say no, realize it's not going to last forever. We'll get you exercising again soon. Thanks for listening to today's tip and be sure to listen to Preggy Pals for more great pregnancy fitness tips.
0: Today is the second part of our two-part series focusing on miscarriage and stillbirth, topics our listeners recommended to us. And last week we discussed dealing with loss, and in this episode we'll be focusing on pregnancy after experiencing loss. Yvonne Rothermel is joining us once again. Yvonne is a licensed clinical social worker specializing in loss. Yvonne, welcome back to the show. Thanks, glad to be here. So let's start off with uh, with the panelists. I want to get some more information about your personal experience. I know we just we just did our introductions and you gave us a little bit of information, but tell us a little bit more about the type of loss
1: um, that you experienced. Beth, let's start with you. Uh, my second pregnancy, I, uh, at five weeks started to have bleeding and was concerned because I didn't have that experience with my first daughter. And so I got myself to a doctor and had, uh, ultrasounds done and, um, then lots of the uh, HCG testing to check hormone levels and uh, was told that um, I had a blighted ovum and that I, there was really n- never a baby in existence.
4: Okay, Sky. Um, My very first pregnancy, um, when my husband and I were married for two years, was in 2004. When I was approximately six weeks, they had determined there was no heartbeat when I went in for an ultrasound and subsequently, they had given me some you know, options at that point medically, and I wasn't prepared for that news, obviously. I didn't feel symptomatically like there was anything wrong, um, and I had requested to wait an additional week um, to have another ultrasound and, and just be sure because it was so early on in the pregnancy. And um, obviously, we were very devastated. Um, a week later, they did determine or reconfirm that there was no heartbeat, and we went on to, um, you know, have a, a miscarriage at that time. And I had been very sick uh, that first pregnancy with pneumonia, so we always thought that that was uh, the reason.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, devastating all the same, but we thought that there was a logical, you know, reason to conclude because I had high fevers And uh, we went on to have a healthy uh, pregnancy uh, about a year and a half later, I believe, uh, with my son, Gavin, who's six, and um, an eventful pregnancy and successful and carried to term, healthy baby boy. And so we thought that you know, that was behind us, and we could go on to have um, a second child. And we had uh, become, two years later, become pregnant with my son Brandon that we did ultimately lose when he was two and a half days old. Um, and that, that's kind of a, a long story that's complicated, but he had an incredibly rare syndrome that had not been determined during my pregnancy. And um, so we thought we were having another healthy Baby boy, I was 40 weeks and four days mm. and completely unaware of anything being wrong. Um, and we delivered a, a very precious little guy that had some special challenges. Um, none of which were life-threatening other than um, he did have some respiratory distress. So, I mean, it was definitely a critical situation that he was in, but one that was recoverable. And unfortunately, through a series of events, um, when he was almost three days old, he had succumbed to the respiratory distress, and um, and uh, we, we lost him at that point we definitely had a hard time making a decision thereafter to become pregnant again and waited um, a year after losing my son and uh, had become pregnant um, with what I learned was a daughter and um, they told me excuse me they told me like with Beth that I had a blighted ovum, um, which ended up not being the case, but I carried technically to 10 weeks, but I had bleeding that started around six weeks and they knew that it wasn't looking good, but we kind of continued until we knew further and tested the HCG. Um, ultimately it had a miscarriage and I think it was about four months after that. We did try again and, um, that time had learned uh, only about two days after I had a positive test I I started to miscarry again so um, it took a while and definitely leave a leap of faith uh, before we come to the decision to move on and have another child or attempt another pregnancy and um, definitely went through a lot of discussions where my husband and I were at different places at different times whether or not to do that and um, I can't remember exactly how long later, but like maybe six or seven months later, eight months, um, we had become pregnant with my precious little blessing Mm -hmm. that, um, his name is Chase. He's 10 months old. I carried him mostly to term. He was 37 weeks and five days, I think. So basically to term, um, uneventful pregnancy, healthy pregnancy, healthy boy who smiles every day. And, um. Our little family uh, journey as far as building our family and having children is complete. My husband had a vasectomy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> your story is amazing. You guys are fighters. You you kept with it. You had a, a goal. And yeah, of course. Of course. Um, Olga, tell us a little bit more about your situation.
3: I found out I was pregnant for the first time last year on Thanksgiving. It was, uh, it was November 24th. My boyfriend and I were super happy. It felt weird at the very beginning because uh, I found out I was pregnant. And then uh, two weeks later, I had to go to doctor because I started bleeding. My doctor said, well, no, it's okay. I mean, what, you're going to take some hormones and you're going to stay here for a couple of uh, weeks. And we'll see. After a couple of weeks, um, they released me. And two days later, when I went for my regular checkup, uh, they found out that the baby was uh I mean that I lost the baby I wasn't bleeding or anything and I had these I had the procedure which was uh, was traumatizing I, I didn't really like it and I didn't want to try again but then they found out that I had a little tumor after the after the surgery they say that the ovaries start producing something um, to feed the baby I didn't really I didn't really want to talk to the doctor when he tried to explain I just wanted to get the hell out of there
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, the doctor said, well, it's the size of a tumor on your ovary, so you probably need to have a surgery. I didn't want to, but my boyfriend said, like, if we wanted to try, I have to be 100%. Mm-hmm. So I went through the surgery and on January 30th, and then February 24th, I found out that I was pregnant again. But the levels of... Uh, HCG were not very high and they were not duplicating. I went to another doctor and it was too much for my body and I lost it at five weeks. I was very depressed I had to continue I had to continue going to work because I had a contract on May the 17th I found out that I was pregnant again and I was super super scared and on the eighth week I started bleeding again. And I mean, I, I just, I was about to give up and I was like, you know, this is not going to work out. And then my doctor made me hear my baby's heartbeat. And that's when I found out that, I mean, that, I mean, I felt that everything was going to work out and it's been good since then.
0: Good, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, Yvonne, I want to talk to you a little bit more about this. At what point are families emotionally stable enough to try and get pregnant again? that 's a very complex question, mm-hmm. and you know
2: if you look in the literature about this, um, you know a, a year is usually a, a good marker of time to give yourself time to grieve, but families don 't have the luxury of time mm-hmm. in these situations. you know some women go through infertility or age, you know different families cope differently with that sense of emptiness, and for some people it, it, it can be helpful to get pregnant. Um, sooner. I think when you start to worry is when people get pregnant again and don't acknowledge the grief associated with it and try to push it down and just get pregnant again without really coming to terms with some of the grief around that.
0: Like just trying to replace the other baby in a sense? Yeah,
2: quickly and not feeling any grief associated with it. Because what we know is that if you, um, the more you're able to grieve the babies that have died, and the more that you are able to um, hold a place in the family for those babies that have been loss, the more able you're gonna be able to attach to the next baby, which is often counterintuitive, pure people. They think, oh, you're dwelling on the baby, this and that's not healthy, but it's actually the opposite that it's so important to grieve those children and to hold a place for them in the family because that makes future attachment to babies easier.
0: Okay. Beth, how did you know that it, it was it was time to start trying?
1: I think that when I was at the doctor um, when I had the miscarriage I just wanted to try right away. I just wanted to know that there wasn't something wrong with me Mm -hmm. because I really felt that it was me. There was something, you know, it must be me. It must be my body. Um, And I think for me, part of that was because I had reached age 35, which there seems to be this kind of stigma around, you know, once you're 35, you better kind of uh, make that decision. And it also, um, my daughter is four. I had um, terrible postpartum depression. It took me a long time to decide to have a second child. And I didn't want to miss that window when my husband and I were on the same page. And so they told me I needed to have three regular cycles, which um, which I did go on to have um, three regular cycles. I mean, my entire life, I had always been a 28-day 20, girl, you know, had never thought that there would be any any issue. And so at the three-month mark, we made the decision to, to try again. And I remember getting past that five-week mark with this pregnancy that I'm currently in and thinking, okay, I got further along this time, you know, than I did last time. And then I started to bleed again and just was completely devastated and thought why is this happening to me mm-hmm. you know but i did get myself to a doctor a different doctor than i had seen with the miscarriage and um and heard a heartbeat that i hadn't heard when i had the miscarriage and it was the most amazing moment and i just remember thinking that i just had to think really positively and believe that there was power in positive thinking mm-hmm. and have just stayed with that and believe that that has helped me carry this pregnancy. Yeah. And it's just, you know, just thinking positively and not going to those places of, yeah. you know, and, um, and I definitely did spend those three months grieving the loss. Um, I know that, uh, from a medical standpoint, they believed that there never was a baby, but in my mind, the moment I saw a positive, Absolutely. of
0: course, it was, yeah. it very
1: much was a baby. And, um, You know, I spent those three months grieving. This December would be when that baby would have been born. And so, um I think about that
0: it 's interesting that you mentioned the heartbeat because Olga talked about that too and and I think even women who haven 't experienced loss, that is the first time that you really think, "Wow, I mean, I took the test, it showed up mm-hmm. positive, but until you hear something that sounds living mm-hmm. you know, I yeah. think that is that resonates in you know so many pregnant yes. women, yes. definitely, okay, Skye, um tell us a little bit more um, about
4: your situation, your decision to get pregnant? You know, each time was unique in terms of what I was feeling emotionally and when I felt ready um, with having endured uh, several miscarriages. Um, definitely each time it became more disheartening um, because with the the very first pregnancy, our, our very first baby being, or ending up in a miscarriage and seemingly at the time having been although still tragic, um, explainable and going on to have two full term children after that, um, it came as quite a surprise to then go through, um, multiple miscarriages, you know, that were back to back and, uh, kind of like Olga was saying, you, you start to, you know, wonder, is it you, is it your body, mm-hmm. what's going on? And, um, you know, is, is it my age? Because I also started later in life too, uh, to, to conceive, um, I can say that as far as um when when the journey really got difficult was obviously after losing my son Brandon in two thousand nine. And um that one took right about, like I said, a year and um extensive research on my part. I'm I'm kind of a researcher that has to understand what happened and mm-hmm. um potentially why it happened because unfortunately when you go home you know, empty-handed and empty-armed, and to an empty cradle and an empty tummy. You, um, you just you you go home without answers, too. You know that's just where it ends, and the story ends with no answers. And I think that as you're traveling through that process of grief and going through that journey, there's all these different stages, and they can cycle, and you can return back to certain stages of the grief that you're experiencing, whether it's anger or mourning or um, all of the, you know, anxiety, different, you know, experiences in that process. And at some point you're searching for answers. And, um, at the point that I felt I had sufficiently come through getting closer to some of those answers, or, or in my case, I actually did reach some of those answers as to what happened to my son. Um, I felt like I had done, uh, I, I had done something for him. I had honored him in his place in my heart and his place in my family. And I felt that, um, I had come through as far as I could getting information to feel like I've not closed that chapter, but closed. Well, no, I guess I would say maybe close that chapter of the process, not close the story on my son, but, um, getting to a point where I felt like maybe now I can move forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was about a year. It was at the point that um, the fog of grief that, that lay so heavy on you had lifted some. And I started to feel um, prepared uh, for the possibility of getting pregnant again because we had come through all the firsts, um, you know, first Christmas, first everything. Mm-hmm. And the anniversary of his passing, of course, and his birthday. Um, after that, when we then did conceive and, uh, lost our, our daughter, um, that definitely, uh, made it very difficult thereafter to make the decision of when we we're ready, if we were ready. Um, there were, you know, many discussions, um, between my husband and I, who are, I adore my husband. We have a a great marriage and a great relationship and great communication and so I was very grateful that he openly communicated to me too, just as you know, much as I communicated my feelings to him. Um, and in kind of working through that process, um, we just had to decide whether or not we could let go of the desire altogether to go on to have another child or um, or or not and we couldn't. We just our desire never leaves you because of what you go through and each time you go through a loss you almost feel like there's a stigma attached to you that um, although nobody would say it and they wouldn't I I don't know if the world around me or friends or family felt like well maybe she shouldn't you know because of what we had endured already but that's something that is so personal to each person and each couple and I did feel a lot of love and support from the people that matter most And, um, we just decided, you know, this is our decision to make and, um, this, you know, these losses, what we, what has happened so far shouldn't prevent us from, you know, completing our journey that we set out on. And, um, certainly I didn't think it was going to take us eight years to bear two children, um, after we got married. Um, but it has. (coughs) And, um, definitely between you know the the subsequent um miscarriages there was um anxiety there was um deep depression a sense of hopelessness um it was very very difficult to come to the decision there was quite a a break in between my last miscarriage and going on to have my my son chased that's 10 months old and uh, through that process um we relied deeply on our faith and just had to um, really find focus in our hearts on um, <laughs> making that decision very thoughtfully and weighing mm-hmm. weighing out the information that we had gained through my research and ultimately had uh, taken that leap of faith, and I thank God every day that we did. Mm-hmm. I, I feel very blessed to have the baby, that, that both my children, mm-hmm. all of my children, the angel ones too.
0: Yeah.
4: Olga, do you want to share a
0: little bit more about your your experience in, in trying to get pregnant again and, and that decision? I, I know you, you did mention this already, but is there anything else you wanted to add?
3: Well, it's just that nobody can tell you. I mean, the doctor tells you, oh, well, you should wait three months, 12 weeks, something like that, to try to get pregnant again. With my boyfriend, uh, we discussed that, I mean, after the second loss, uh, I told him that I just didn't want to try again. I mean, it was very painful. You just need to really trust that I don't know God or your body or someone above us will. I mean, will help us and keep trying and try to hope for the best. Is um, I I have to be honest with this uh, third pregnancy. I didn't get very attached to the baby at the very beginning because I was like, no. I mean, if I really, if I start daydreaming about my baby, maybe I'm going to lose it, and then I'm going to cry again. And It's very, very hard, and it's true, I mean, you mourn your babies, I mean, I, I, I started writing for my first baby, I started writing him letters, I mean, how I felt and everything. The second baby, when my doctor told me that the levels were not increasing, I and I knew that I was going to lose it eventually. Uh, I started writing him letters, and I, I kept all those things. And with this third baby, it took me almost, I mean, I had to finish the first trimester to really, I mean, accept that I was pregnant and that everything might, might go well. It's, I don't know, I mean, a lot of people have these plans and, They want, I mean, they say, okay, we're going to get pregnant next year or in two years or after we get married or something. But it's not something that we can plan, although that's a responsible thing, right?
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you for sharing, Olga. When we come back, we're going to talk about the anxiety many parents feel after getting pregnant again, as well as how they felt after their babies were born. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. Today we are talking about miscarriage and stillbirth, pregnancy after loss. And our special expert is Yvonne Rothermel. She is a licensed clinical social worker. And uh, we are joining here um, in the studio. We've got two lovely ladies that have been sharing their stories, as well as Olga, who is joining us from Peru. So, again, ladies, thank you for being here. Um, so, for Yvonne, is it normal for families to experience anxiety in a subsequent Pregnancy after loss? Oh, of course. Yeah. I, I,
2: you know, when you've been on the other side of a statistic, um, those mean nothing to you. And, mm-hmm. and when you've had losses, especially, you know, multiple losses, um, you you feel like your assumptive world that you live in, like everything's going to be okay, this doesn't happen to me, you know, it gets blown. And right. so you have a lot of anxiety. And um, anxiety is a big part of grief that people don't talk about. People mm-hmm. talk a lot about sadness and depression, but anxiety is also a big part of grief. Um, You know, and also when a woman becomes pregnant again after they've had a loss, um, it's like the biggest reminder of what they went through. You know, it's like having your mom die when you're in China and you've never been back to her house since she died. Then you go in the house and you see all her things and everything. It's like you're just reminded of all those things. Um, And so women can be very emotional during those pregnancies. A a lot of women do what's called emotional cushioning. It's just a protective armor they wear where they try not to – Attach too much to it, and then then they end up feeling guilty. I'm not bonding to this baby, and then they that's feel bad. That's what Olga and, was talking about. Yeah, yeah y- she,
0: for several weeks she didn't want to yes, bond. And,
2: right. but that's an completely normal when yeah. you've been through a loss. You know, to try to protect yourself. Um, and you know, usually when that baby's born, you know, the bonding is there. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's really there. It's just a way to try to protect yourself. Um, from all the anxiety. Um, You'll often see a lot of moms go into triage a lot more often, a lot more doctor's appointments, and then that's a stress because then they feel like, you know, they feel like there's that person again coming who's so anxious. And then, you know, it's and some people are very understanding in the medical community about that, and some people are not. And um, as one of my patients had said, her doctor said, look, I can be your doctor, but I can't be your psychiatrist. Mm. And had very little understanding of what it was like um, to have experienced that some women have ptsd you know they go back to the triage room where they learn their baby died and then they're pregnant the next time they have to go to that same triage room oh, to get wow. checked so they're having a ptsd reaction it's like post-traumatic that. stress it is po- yes yeah. very often it is and and it's really minimized you right. know uh very much minimized for women
0: yeah are you ladies here in the studio are you familiar with the emotional cushioning Did you recognize that in your own behaviors go ahead Yes.
1: Yeah. I. When I found out that I was um, pregnant this time, um, I just, I didn't really want to talk about it very much. And it was almost like um, I got kind of superstitious mm-hmm. about things and just kind of that feeling of maybe if I don't get too attached, it'll be okay. I was just protecting myself from going through the hurt of it again. But uh, after I hit that um, first trimester mark, which they talk about, you know, once you get to the 12 weeks, it's safe to tell everybody. And um, I think for me that that really was a milestone for me was getting past the first trimester. And then um, I was able to start um, thinking of it as a reality. So Sky, do um, you want to share a little bit more
4: about your your experience with uh, emotional cushioning yeah on um the the topic of anxiety in general um that was something that i hadn't really dealt uh with before in my life before losing my son and um after losing him i definitely um, dealt with a tremendous amount of anxiety that was um, very new to me to experience, and the very visceral reaction to anxiety, the physicality of it the the tingling in your shoulders and mm-hmm. the palms of your hands and the sweating hands and the feeling of shortness of breath i mean like the very overwhelming uh, panic attacks and um, and i uh, you know had seen my doctor for that, and thankfully they weren 't very often but when they when they came um, they were quite overwhelming. Um, So definitely I had a lot of fear going into future pregnancies over what role that would play. Would it continue? Because, of course, your thought as a mom and in a pregnancy is that experiencing something like that is not good. You right. know, your heart racing and right. all of that and uh, just feeling out of control of your your physical body mm-hmm. Um so I, I, you know, and I didn't want to be taking medications for it while I'm pregnant and things like that. Well, I can honestly say that at least the worst of it as far as like true panic attacks had um, subsided for the most part within the year. There are triggers still to this day, of course, but um, you ju- But it's much fewer and further between. It's usually very huge life upsets tend to be triggers, um, it, especially if it's of an emotional nature. I'll always equate it back to my grief. But in pregnancies, as far as the emotional cushing and and what I did with that, um, I attend um, a support group and have for the last three and a half years since I lost my son called Empty Cradle, and it's been a tremendous support um, to, to talk with other moms like we are now that have experienced this and to feel understood. And I know that this has been a theme that we've all talked about um, frequently because When you go through a subsequent pregnancy, there is a lot of anxiety, obviously, going through it, and there's also um, a natural feeling that um, Yvonne was describing to feel as though you are uh, somewhat emotionally detached from the pregnancy, but... um, And and I agree, I think that that's uh, probably very natural to experience because we have all, uh, many of us that I've come to know through this process that have experienced this have all described that, and I certainly have experienced it as well. But what I can also say, um, just as my opinion on the matter, is that the moment, from and this is from my having experienced um, multiple losses, from the moment that there's a turn of events, that anything might then again be wrong, Any bit of that emotional cushioning that you've done that you think that you have detached yourself is um, put to question immediately and put to rest, in fact, because you are you are attached. There's no way that you're not attached. Um, It's it's something that you're doing mentally uh, in the hopes to prepare your heart for something you can't prepare it for because you love that um, you love that precious little person from the moment you read that test strip and it comes up positive so we think that we're protecting our hearts against motherhood and it's it's a fight you'll never win right so
0: right okay we are running out of time but I wanted to end on a a high note and that is for those of you who have um you know had successful pregnancies and delivered your babies and your babies are happy and healthy um I want to just share the joy that that you have in that child because i want to concentrate on that i really do because that's what we're all after and um it is possible and so if you got you know the ladies here in the studio if you want to share um how you felt when your babies were born and you were able to take them home um let, let's talk about that a bit
4: go ahead i'll i'll begin i suppose um I have tears. (laughs) I know, me too. (laughs) Going through that labor and delivery with my son, Chase, uh, my youngest, was uh, definitely an anxious time getting through the the actual labor and delivery. And I kept thinking, okay, I just need him to breathe. I need to see him. I need to hold him. Mm -hmm. And there was um, something that it had been taken from me that I waited and endured a lot to get back to, and that was I never got to hold Uh, my son Brandon until he had passed away and all I wanted more than anything in the world was to hold my precious son and um, the moment he was born and they put him on me it um, the world was right again and he has been the most tremendous blessing in my life Um, he is happier than any little baby i've ever met you know and and i've been through some challenges and my oldest son is my just he's my precious boy he had colic like though so you they always talk about like if you have two kids or more kids that you know you're going to have your easier ones and your more difficult ones yeah. and um by no fault of his own it was just a more challenging pregnancy with my first or right. i mean i'm sorry my first experience being a mom here yeah and um instead of with my angels my my oldest was uh you know just you're a new mom and i was dealing with colic and all yeah, that so it was hard yeah. so my experience right now and especially with everything i've been through has just been um blessed beyond measure he he smiles every day every moment and he he laughs and he's cuddly and affectionate and i can't say enough about him and it his just it's it's added back into my life joy that walks alongside in my grief and um, but it has completed our family building on um, definitely a positive note and didn't leave my legacy one of just tragedy and loss and I feel so grateful
1: more, more than I can measure or describe
0: Right, right Beth, what would you like to add to that?
1: I'm really looking forward to um, the birth of this baby and um, I feel um, like I've been given another chance, and uh i I had a a difficult time with the birth of my daughter, like I had mentioned, I had very bad postpartum depression and anxiety, and I feel like over the past four years I've worked really hard to build um a support network, and um I found great doctors through this whole experience of the miscarriage and um I'm looking forward to, uh, having, um, a, a a better experience, a better, um, like I get a second chance Mm -hmm. and, um, I'm excited for, um, this birth story that is going to come. And, um, so I'm just really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talk about post-traumatic
2: stress, but there's also post-traumatic growth, You know, and when you go through tragedy like that, you know, unfortunately, as difficult it is, I mean, some good things come out of that. And I think parents who are parents after loss, you know, are really, really appreciative um, of their kids. Not that everyone isn't, of course, course, but you have just sort of a
0: newfound Mm -hmm. appreciation given how hard it was to get Mm -hmm. there. Well said. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for being here. And thank you for sharing your stories, even though I I know it was difficult at times. But thank you. Thank you for your honesty. We have a comment from one of our listeners. This comes from a guy, Sean, from Jackson, Tennessee. I'm kind of surprised he used his real name. I guess I don't know if that's his real name or not. But anyway, uh, Sean writes, Hi, Sunny. This may seem a bit odd, but I'm a guy, and I've been listening to preggy Pals recently. My wife and I just found out we're pregnant with our first child, and I'm trying to learn everything I can possibly learn about how to help her through the next nine months. Oh, isn't that sweet? He continues to say, I know your audience is mainly focused on women, But I would love if you could provide some information on what pregnancy is like from a new dad's perspective. Thanks so much. Okay, Sean, actually, I am looking into this right now. Your timing really couldn't be better. We have a psychologist um, by the name of Danny Singley. If you guys listen to our Parent Savers show, he's been on the show a couple different times to talk about um, how men feel after their babies are born. But he also teaches a class on what men go through during pregnancy. And I've been trying to figure out a way to get him on the show. Um, so look for that in the future. We may do a whole episode with Just Dads as panelists. That's an idea. Or soon-to-be dads, or just have uh, Danny on the show in another way. But, Sean, yes, I am looking into this. And thank you so much for being our token guy that listens to this show. Um, We have received comments in the past that the men initially find the show, since we're on iTunes, and then um, they tell their wives about it. But this is the first that, you know, at least the guy's actually admitted (laughs) that he listens to the show. But, Sean, I'm really glad we can be a resource for you. And uh, thanks for being there for your wife. What a great husband you are. That wraps up our show for today. If you have questions for Yvonne about the topics we discussed today or other issues dealing with loss, you can send us an email through our website or call our preggy Pals hotline at 619-866-4775 and we'll get your questions answered. Of course, I want to say thank you to all the panelists joining us today and Olga for joining us from Peru. Um, we certainly appreciate all the input and the information that you gave um, our listeners. For members of the Preggy Pals Club, this conversation continues as we explore family decision to commemorate the lives of the children they have lost coming up next week we're exploring pregnancy for plus-size women how does it differ and what are some tips for having the healthiest pregnancy possible thanks for listening to preggy pals your pregnancy your way
4: this has been a new mommy media production the information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only statements and opinions expressed in this episode
0: That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.